Welcome to Diamonds in the Rough Draft, a heartfelt dig through discarded drafts from our past. I'm your co-host, Emily Anderson. And I'm Eric Anderson. On draft this week is Opelika Lime from Resting Pulse Brewing Company in Opelika, Alabama. While we drink our way through, we'll be working through Emily's rough draft of What the Tales Forgot to Mention. So, tell me about this beer. You may realize that this beer is not from Georgia. This is an Alabama beer that is a microbrewery in Opelika where I grew up, where I have many friends and my family is still there. So we went back to visit and have great times with lots of people that put up with us for a whole week. And part of that process was seeing this brewery that has been there for a little while, maybe about a year or or two, and uh, it was our first time being there, and we were very pleasantly surprised. It was very nice. I wouldn't say I was surprised. I was just pleased. Oh, I'm surprised. Growing up in Opelika, there was nothing like this there. So (laughs) anytime something new and wonderful pops up in an area that... It's this downtown railroad district, this historic district, that as I was growing up was completely abandoned. Nothing but empty warehouses. People didn't go there. And the thing that really revitalized it was an Irish pub deciding to come in and make a really nice restaurant restaurant and a really nice facade to it that actually started something and then other restaurants came in and uh, now the first distillery legally making um spirits spirits yeah (laughs) in alabama since prohibition days is john emerald distillery and they're right there in downtown next to another brewery so now that has two two breweries and a distillery at home there's two breweries and a distillery yeah plus an irish bread pub and all within stumbling (laughs) hashtag not sponsored by the irish bread pub. wish we were but um yeah and and opalike is not a really big place so per capita amount of alcohol created there is truly impressive <laughs> so, uh, but yeah we really enjoyed ourselves now we didn't get to try any of the food that's there and they had a pretty impressive they menu did have an impressive yeah menu. including paninis yeah. pizza hot dogs like all of these different things i saw other people eating but we just weren't there for food i'd say we tried all but four of the beers on that menu though i think yeah and we, we left we with even, our i even tried two ipas and guys I have found an IPA that I like. She only made bad faces about one of them. (laughs) (laughs) So I I would, for those of you also desperately searching for a drinkable IPA, I would drink Peach Bellini IPA from Resting Pulse Brewery again. I would do it. It did taste very peachy and nice, but still had some IPA flavors to it, but not overly hoppy in the back end. It was really nice. Overwhelmingly floral. But what we're drinking today is called Opa Lichen Lime, and it's a pun, and we like that. Also, it is lime-flavored. Now, the bartender there told us that she thought it tasted like a Corona with the lime already mixed in, and I heartily disagree because this is much better than that. It's a wheat beer. And to, to us, we think it tastes like somebody made a blue moon. Or but a in, shock top. Or in, but instead of orange and coriander, they just used lime instead. Yeah. And, and we really like it. But yeah. their description on their website says, We put the lime in the uh, wheat beer, giving it a bright, crisp, citrus flavor. We think you will drink it all up. The lower alcohol content makes this a great summer beer for the patio. It is only 4.9 uh, alcohol by volume, which is much lower than what we have been drinking. Yeah. yeah, probably. 
We like that good old 7.8 or 8.1. <laughs> I'm spoiled. I don't know. Usually the beers that cold. have the, the best flavor yeah. to me are what we used to call high gravity beers. And now that just seems like normal beer to yeah. me. I kind of expect somewhere between 6 to 9% in most yeah. of the beers that I'm drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's just because I don't really drink a lot of light beer. I figure if I'm gonna get calories this way, I'm gonna. <laughs> it's gotta mean something. So let's uh, let's take a sip. Let's okay. cheers because we have okay. glass cups this time. Ooh. <laughs> I did that's it two times in a row, man. Again. I'm getting better and you're getting worse. Oh, I really like this. Yeah, it's very crisp. I was worried about how I'd like the lime when we first tried this. Because limes, for some reason, more than lemon or, or orange, I find um, lime to be like a very powerful flavor. It is. I mean, you squeeze a lime over top some tacos or a dish and the, the flavor really pops out. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're really powerful. But we, got a, we got a growler of this because they don't sell six packs of it there in the, in the brewery. So we filled up a growler. Yeah, I kept yeah. meaning to ask if they like sell it in bottles outside of the brewery but i didn't get a chance we to. didn't do that we don't know the yeah. answer to this maybe they have distribution maybe they don't it wasn't hopefully the... they do because this is really good yeah. and i like it i can tell you one thing it was not in the opalika piggly wiggly because we no. looked we went there looking and the and we didn't see it no no maybe no. maybe soon to be fair the pig didn't have any local beer that's true which yeah. is just a travesty because yeah. there's a lot of really really good beer from Opelika now. One more thing about Resting Pulse Brewery before we move on, and that is it, a, it is a family-owned company, which is just great, and they have a history of working in healthcare. So they chose the name Resting Pulse Brewing Company to kind of not only go back towards some of their healthcare roots, but signify the kind of relaxing atmosphere and just really enjoyable setting that they were trying to get. So there's a nice outdoor patio space and then a really, really long bar with tall tables and TVs up everywhere. So just really relaxing, really chill place. Yeah, it was. It was. Well, and it was uh, apropos of nothing. Um, one of the bartenders there was from Woodstock. Yeah, that was really funny. I wish we remembered her name, but... I don't think we asked it. We maybe. She was know. very busy. For a Tuesday night, they yeah. were very busy. Thankfully, they yeah. were really good busy. For them. Yeah, good for them. So she was too busy to tell us her name. Yeah, but that's but it fine. was funny. We kind of traded places. I was from Opelika and moved to Woodstock. She was from Woodstock and moved to Opelika, and then she served me beer. So she's my favorite. Yep, yep. Yeah. Well, so speaking of poetic, <laughs> what are you thinking about right now? So we watched a comedy special the other day, so I'm thinking about stand-up comedy. We watched the Bo Burnham special titled Make Happy, and it was really good. That's it was really it was really different. We've watched a lot of comedy at this point, and he was definitely doing things that are outside of your normal comedy routine. Just because of his talents, the fact that he is a musician and he's a stand-up comedian and he's always interweaving them back and forth. And it's interesting because this comedy special is like five years old. Yeah. It, it was from it like is. 2016. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we're always behind on comedy. We never get comedy right when it releases. Yeah. That's just... So I want to be like, it was super cutting edge what he was doing, but like, I don't know if that was kind of... 
cutting edge for 2016, and I don't know if it would be considered cutting edge right now. <laughs> I don't think after, like, um, but no, yeah, he, he was very frenetic, you're right, and that was part of it, like, very high energy show with him literally, yeah, like, leaping it, around the stage and um, big lights and big music. And, and a lot of them were almost like little story vignettes. Yeah. Which is how we get to... So, what what I was really thinking about from the storytelling perspective and the creative writing perspective was the idea of authenticity. And he really delves into this in, into, in the show, the question of whether or not his stories have to be true and whether or not it really makes a difference. Is it, is it a better stand-up comedy special if everything that he's saying is perfectly true? Does it get worse if he embellishes? Does it get worse if he completely makes everything up as long as people laugh? And, you know, he just kind of shoots it out there and lets the audience dwell on it. And so dwell on it shall we now. Well, I, I think it's apt. The idea, uh, and, you know, there's almost, in, in a lot of creators, there's almost this cult of authenticity now. Like everybody wants to seem as, as authentic as possible, as just, I'm just one of you and here's my real life, you know, here's, here's what do. <laughs> so I'm going to, dare I say it, it's a cult of authenticity and I don't think that matters. Like, you know, I'm as attracted to that as anybody. There's a reason why people are doing it. It works. We all like to feel like we're close to the, the creators that we consume. It makes us feel special. But all that matters is the story. Not whether the story actually happened or whether the story actually happened that way or whether the story actually happened to the person who said it happened to them. All that matters is the story. Although that does be... Sorry, I just, I just thought about how that's kind of weird territory because, you know, that does leave a lot of room for appropriation. That's what I was going to say is... Yeah. The, in a lot of the, the writing circles that I attempt to follow, there is this idea of do not try to take on the voice of a marginalized people. Um, leave that for the marginalized writers. And yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a hard one. It is. It is very, very difficult because as a straight, white, middle class Christian male, feeling that I am limited to only writing main characters that follow all of those characteristics is kind of sad. Well, I was going to come at it from a different angle. Um, if, if we're supposed to be pursuing more diverse stories and more diverse characters, I think there's room for a little of both. Yeah. You know, I think, I think there's room for a lot more diverse authors telling their stories, you know, to actually be at the table. But I also think there's room for the people who haven't traditionally been marginalized and are already at the table to be expanding the stories they're telling, to expand the dishes they're serving, yeah. if you will. And, and, and it's hard. It's a hard line to walk because that's kind of just the nature of culture and art. You know, it takes from here, it takes from there. This is assimilated. This is adopted from this place and that place. And, you know, that's... How do you do that respectfully? But I think that's part of why we get so obsessed with authenticity. Yeah. I think I think that that feeds into it can be hard to trust. And so it's hard to let a story to let a piece of art move and affect you if you don't think it can be trusted. 
Yeah, well, especially if you're talking about certain more interesting settings, you assume the author has been to those settings. You hope you, you can you, assume. Yeah. yeah, you hope that they're being realistic about the cultures that they're yeah. that they're uh, describing when they're talking about and the food and the language. And... This shows up in some criticisms of like the Twilight series, right? The the author Stephanie Meyer had she had never set foot in the town of Forks. It was all a bunch of Google Maps. And she she's using a, a culture that actually exists. You know, she's using a people that actually exist. And the, the way she portrays that culture has no bearing on <laughs> what their actual way of life is. And that's a problem because she's making tons and tons of money on it. And, you know, it's, a, it's affecting how a ton of people view that culture. But at the same time, there's so much awareness that has been brought. Right. So, yeah. so the, and like it, how it many people have wanted to go to Washington State? How many people have wanted to go to Forks, Washington because of a, of a fictionalized town that happened to share that name? How, how many people have wanted to go see, you know, meet that, that tribe yeah. because of a fictionalized portrayal of them? You know, Opportunities can come from it. Yeah, but, which doesn't but it's really hard. It like, right. yeah, yeah, I mean, tourism has come to New Zealand because of the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies. But is it really good for New Zealand in the long term? Yeah, you know, I don't those know. Those kinds of things we don't know. Lindsay Ellis, yeah. tell us. But <laughs> that's a really hard question. Yeah. So circling back, you, you want a sense of trust is kind of necessary, mm-hmm. especially in like a written. A written or performed work. Although I don't, I don't know. Now I'm like, can I make that claim? Because sometimes some people rely on an unreliable narrator. Well, that's true. But it's not quite the but same. But it's thing. playing on the it's idea not... that you're inherently trusting someone who's telling yeah. you a story. We want to believe people. We want to trust people. We want what they're saying to be the truth, and we let that affect how well we like a story, how well we like a piece of art, and it's. It's an interesting phenomenon, I think. So fiction authors are often asked if any of these events actually happened to them or if they are based on events that did happen in their lives. Are any of these characters based on people that they actually know? Or have they been to any settings that were... Uh, or any places that inspire the setting in the novel. These are just kind of things that you hear in author talks or read in interviews about how how did the author come up with this fantastic story that is completely fictionalized. Oh, it makes me think of uh, in Harry Potter when he he's been killed by Voldemort and he's talking to Dumbledore in the like between place. Yeah, and at the end of it, he says, "Is this?" is this real or is it just happening in in my head and Dumbledore's like of course it's real you know it's real to you like it it, it doesn't matter sure no he says something just because it's happening in your head doesn't mean it isn't real yeah yeah Yeah. like it it doesn't matter if it really happened it doesn't matter what matters is the story what matters is if it if it matters to you yeah it doesn't matter (laughs) well and that's what I'm trying to say like does the story matter to you does the story affect you that actually reminds me of so I took this class in college that was all about dreams it was great it was a really interesting (laughs) class and uh, we looked at it from different cultural lenses and about how different indigenous people looked at their dreams. And um, sounds really cool. it was it was an amazing class. You and never talked about this before. I talk about this all the time. No, you don't. I have twice. All right. So 
uh, one thing, so as part of the class, we were supposed to keep a dream journal, and we were instructed that if we could not remember our dream for that night, or if we did not dream that night, to just make something up, because it all count, comes from the same place. Yeah. So whether or not you actually had this vision in your head, or whether or not you just kind of made it up, if you get it onto the page, both of them can be looked at in the same light. You can still psychoanalyze both of them and understand them. Huh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, that's what that reminds me. Did it really happen? Who cares? doesn't really matter either yeah, way. It, it still came, came out of your brain. Place. Yeah. Yeah, so, and okay, so that that's about fiction, but nonfiction has kind of the opposite problem. Yeah, they're constantly scrambling to prove that that, that this really happened. happened. Yeah, but there's a reason that there's a reason that there's two dozen different biographies of George Washington. There's a lot more probably, I would imagine. And it's not always just because new information is being dug up by historians. Sometimes it's just that the lens through which we are seeing this information changes and writers are going back and looking at how the information is being presented and they want to present it in a slightly different way. The story has changed. Yeah, but all of these are still completely true. And that's where people have a really, really hard time because truth is being presented the exact in completely different ways about the exact same guy. Yeah, well, uh, to, uh, the an example that comes to mind is, you know, people go out of their way to say, you know, the cherry tree story never happened. George Washington and the cherry tree, that, that never happened. But yet we perpetuate this because it's important to the overall story of George Washington's life. The idea that he was a man who it would be believed would be so truthful, who would be so trustworthy. That's very important to our national identity, our national story of who our first president was, of who the man that generaled us through our war for independence was. Like, that story, even though it didn't happen, is true, and it's important yeah. to the overall story. So when you're telling that story, you don't claim it as fact. You simply say... It is often said that the yeah. cherry tree story happened. Because it could have happened. The point is that it's believable that it could have happened. But they're not claiming that it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. That that idea of authenticity is just very interesting to me. Depending upon what we are writing, if we're trying to write a true story, how much can we embellish? If we're trying to write a, a false story, a fiction a fictionalized story how much of the real world can we bring in before we get in trouble yeah and i don't know so well that is it on what i have been thinking about that was wonderful now before you give us the dramatic reading emily tell us what you remember about this poem and why it was written so i wrote this i wrote the original draft of this in high school i think it was after my first serious breakup that story seems real to me. Yeah. <laughs> that story seems true. It might not be what actually happened. This sounds but, fictionalized, but... <laughs> Emily. <laughs> I was reading a lot of fairy tale retellings, like YA fairy tale retellings. Um, I'd written, or no, I hadn't written. I had read um, Anne Sexton's uh, kind of a mid 20th century poet. She's a, kind of in the same time and place and group of 
art poets <laughs> as Sylvia Plath. Like she ran in the same circles as Sylvia Plath is what I'm trying to say. She did a bunch of poems that were fairy tale retellings. They were a little bleak, which I think kind of inspired some of the tone in this. Um, I'd also really, I, I'd loved a, a book I'd read by a woman named Francesca Leah Block. Oh, now I can't remember what it was called. Uh, the Rose and the Beast might have been The Rose and the Beast. And those were, those were actually also poems retelling fairy tales. Um, and I loved those. So I thought, hey, I seem to be really obsessed with fairy tales. Maybe I should write, write one. <laughs> Maybe I should write a poem about it. This has been rewritten already. So I wrote the original in high school. In college, I was sitting around with uh, my roommates. Uh, I was asking them to help me pick some poems uh, to rewrite for, for a writing class. And my friend, one of my friend and roommate really liked that one and said, you should, you should write this and you should rewrite it for me and give me a copy. <laughs> And so I did. This is this is the Hillary edit, <laughs> um, and she she kept that copy and she posted a picture of it on social media. You know, like a decade ago, and every so often it it pops up on her time hop, and she'll send me a message, being really encouraging, saying, you know, I still really love this poem. You know, I love your writing. Like, keep going. And it's been very 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 encouraging. And so. For that reason, this poem is very special to me because of Hillary and oh. how she believed in me. I believe yeah. in you too, Hillary, <laughs> wherever you are. Um, okay, so a dramatic reading. Dramatic reading. A dramatic, dramatic reading. reading. What the tales forgot to mention. One. Dreams grow more fragile by the hour when you've been sleeping for a hundred years. Waiting is a refined torture, squeezing hope into bitter yellow pills. You swallow more and more of them to soften the ticking of that pink biological clock. The apples ripen, the roses bloom, and your doom looms closer and closer. The seven men downstairs love you, but brothers can only give you so much. So you can't help wanting a real prince worth cutting your hair for. But all the, one, all the good ones seem to have already found their scullery maids with hearts of gold. Besides, I never liked that glass slipper fad. Pricking my finger seems a safer bet. It won't be so bad to sleep instead of waiting. Two, as I stretched my finger towards the point, I thought change must bring something better. The seven men mining downstairs loved me, but my brothers couldn't offer much else but comfort. I wanted a prince to call my own, one worth cutting my hair for. But they all seemed to be taken, bound to other working girls with hearts of gold. I tried everything, glass slippers, poison apples, and up here sign. The slippers pinched, the apple nauseated, no one came. The spindle solution intrigued me. It didn't seem cowardly or ill-considered then, an escape from the torture of that weedy hope bitterly eating away at my heart. A cheat, I thought, for keeping dreams from being swallowed by the inexorable tick-tock of my life's clock. I never thought reality would throw my dreams away, crush them to disillusioned pieces on the marble floor. I never thought each confident step of your boots across that floor would echo, reverberating through my soul like an alarm. Three, 
My godmother never warned me that these glass slippers would chafe my feet and clack louder than horses' hooves while I danced round the marble floor. She did tell me to mind the time, to leave before the clock struck twelve. Why didn't she mention ball gowns altered time? Each minute spent itself like seconds. Did she know what awful kindness she was giving? What could I possibly know of ruling this kingdom or my kind dance partner's tender heart? Thank you. Thank you so much for that dramatic reading. So, my... Oh, I just threw your poem away. That's not right. (laughs) I was trying to throw something else. All right, I got it back. So, my first impression was general confusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and part of it was because you have these three sections. Yeah. Of uh, one, two, and three. And at and it kind of seemed like you were trying to do different things within each section, but then there's some... Overlap. Oh, yeah, there, yeah, there is definitely some overlap. So my favorite parts, let me hit my favorite parts first. Okay. I think you have a really, really strong opening. The line, dreams grow more fragile by the hour when you've been sleeping for 100 years, that's solid. That's good stuff. That's good (laughs) stuff. Um, Even the first four lines, I'm okay with, although still confused. Waiting is a refined torture, squeezing hope into bitter yellow pills. You swallow more and more of them to soften the ticking of that pink biological clock. I just need some, you know, I need some explanation that's going on, but that's fine. But then you switch. Like, you've definitely been talking about Sleeping Beauty. And then suddenly you're talking about the seven men downstairs, which is a Snow White reference. By the time you get to the second section, I think that that you are still talking about somebody who lives in a fairy tale world. But what I've put together is that I believe your narrator is aware of all of the other fairy tale princesses that live in this world and how they found their princes. And so they are going through trying to recreate those happy love stories on on themselves. So Shrek. In in a way, it's yeah. very Shrekian. It yeah. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, so yeah. it's like I just picture this princess or this <laughs> this regular this regular person sitting around trying to like eat an enchanted apple and fall asleep, trying really hard to put on glass slippers, just thinking it's going to change something, trying really hard to prick her finger on something and then be be forced to fall asleep, which I think is a really intriguing idea. You yeah. have somebody who lives in this fairy tale world and she is completely aware of the magic that exists in the world, but she doesn't know how to make it happen. So she's trying to recreate what has already happened, hoping that one of them will apply to her. I yeah. think that's cool. Yeah. And I, so I think you, there's that idea going on in the poem and then there's several different ideas and it's all, it all gets mixed up because there have been a bunch of different rewrites at different times, but they're all in the same kind of document. So, so the ideas get all twisted around each other. I think what you're talking about was close to the original idea of the original poem. I don't have the original poem in front of me, but you know that one was written after a breakup, so I was feeling really brokenhearted, but I was thinking that it was still worth it because at some point I would find I would find you. <laughs> so I what I remember of that poem is is saying 
the narrator of the poem being like, yeah, I know these gonna these awful things are gonna happen. Like, you know, this awful thing from Sleeping Beauty and this awful thing from Snow White and this awful thing from Cinderella and this awful thing from Red Riding Hood, but I'm still gonna do it. I, yeah. Even knowing that, I'm still gonna do it. Even knowing that all of these things have happened to other women before, I think going through that to find the, you know, the carrot at the end of the stick will be worth it. And that was the intent of the original poem. And so I think that's what's kind of bleeding through. Because then you switched off of that and you started talking from each individual princess's point of view. Yeah. Where you are Cinderella, you are Snow White, you are Rapunzel, and you are, who is Sleeping Beauty? Aurora? Yeah, I just call her Sleeping Beauty. And you are Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think in the rewrites, I was struck by these other poems that I that I had read and just other fairy tale retelling media that I had consumed, like Shrek, yeah. where where people fit, where the princesses are more bleak. I, I was really intrigued by the idea of like this jaded fairy tale princess or or like the fairy tale isn't a happy ending. I mean, you see that in the second section where she's like, actually, this guy's terrible. And if I'd known that, I would have gone running, you know. I love the fact that for any medium, when we decide, oh, we need to reboot this, it is automatically the gritty reboot. You know, let's take this, let's take this comic book character and let's redo it, but it's actually dark and gritty and scary and bloody. Let's take this fairy tale and redo it, Guess what? It's terrifying and dark and scary and bloody. Well, with fairy tales, that's kind of a funny statement to make because in the Western tradition, the ones that we as English speakers grew up with, like their original recorded versions are very violent. And in fact, the people who, I mean, a lot of these fairy tales that are, that are referenced specifically in this poem are from you know Grimm's fairy tales, and they specifically went out of their way to make them violent, to like scare children into behaving well. You Don't know? go in the forest, kids. Yeah, yeah, they were full of metaphor and full of violence and dark, gritty things. I mean, the stepmothers are always trying to kill the children. <laughs> you yeah. know, like people are always losing limbs or being maimed in some way. Like. Parents are always dying. They're pretty dark and gritty to start with. And really what we, as English-speaking Americans, will have, would have experienced with these fairy tales is then our culture has taken them and been like, you know, we don't really go in for that for children anymore. So we're going to gentle and prettify and nice We're going to water them this. down. Not even necessarily water, water them, them down because the core is still there in each of the stories. Yeah, the core idea, the core basic plot is still there. Yeah. You know, Drudge dreams of escaping life, this life. Drudge is saved by a rich man Yeah, because love. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, Child, poor little rich girl is cursed, saved by prince. <laughs> the yeah. end. Saved by love. Love will save you, yeah. generally yeah. speaking, yeah. the end. Everything might be really awful right now, but don't worry, it gets better. Yeah, so so the gritty reboot, as you'll say, it's almost like this boomerang. Yeah. You know, and I'd almost ascribe it to, like, people trying to grow up and mature and say, oh, well, I don't need this cloying Gent gentled version yeah. 
you know, I can I can take the real version. Authenticity. Yeah. People people sitting and saying, well, this I can remember as I was consuming every retelling I could get my hands on being like, I want the real one. Yeah. I can, yeah, take this it. Idea. I can take the real one. I need to go back what as far the, as I can. What's the first Cinderella yeah, story? What is the original? When, you know, every culture under the sun has a Cinderella story, it, and they all probably came up with them independently on their own. The idea of I have to work really hard and I don't have somebody in my life who loves or cares about me. That is a tale, unfortunately, as old as time. And the dream to escape that by being magically saved by a rich person, I mean, we still wish that as a society yeah. right now. <laughs> you know, that's... the That's Fifty okay. Shades of Grey. Sure. <laughs> Isn't it? I haven't read it or seen it. I but I know the dude is rich, okay? I know the dude is rich. So, okay, okay, okay. So, that, yeah, that all makes sense. And I can understand why this poem exists now we have to kind of figure out what to do with it and i i had this idea that i was very intrigued by so you have this main new narrator princess to be whatever her name is then you have these other points of view of these other princesses and i thought it would be really interesting to turn this into because it's already a pretty long i mean this is a two-page Work, which is significantly longer than any other poem you've shown me so far. So I want to see if you can extend this even further and kind of have a poetic story or maybe even maybe even turn it into a short story. I don't know. But what, what I'm intrigued by, what I'm trying to say is you're telling the story of this new princess who is looking to all of these other princesses who have gone through things. Mm-hmm. And at each section break you actually kind of hear the story of one of the other princesses and it's kind of a throwback to well she thinks that this princess had all love and happiness and care because she ate the poisoned apple and then went off to the prince but then you actually hear from the other princess that that happened to and you hear snow white's actual story of what she's going through that other people don't know because her tale has been fairy tailed into oblivion and the truth has been lost and then you return back after Snow White's part is done. You return back to New Princess. And then she tries again. And this time she's going to try with a spindle. And then you switch over to Sleeping Beauty. And you hear the true story of that. Until you go through like all five princesses that you want to hear. And then something new has to happen to the princess to actually finish out everything. Maybe it's that nothing happens at all. And she just has to... It depends on whether or not you want to end it bleak or you want to end it happy. I suppose. Or you want to end it with her just kind of dreaming? Yeah. There's three different ways that You're I can like see it Shahira happening. You're like Shahrazading this. Yeah. It's like this weird combination of Sophia well, the First, Shahrazad, I'm not. It's and, not necessarily... Sophia the First. And then Princess Fiona. <laughs> it's not necessarily a frame narrative. Like, that's not what I'm trying to go for. But I, I'm, I'm reading this Way of Kings book right now by Brandon Sanderson. And it's I this, don't know this book. Well, it's, I've been telling you that I'm in halfway through this incredibly yes, like that's three, all I know. That's all I know. Three hundred thousand okay. word beast. And in his work, what he does is in between chapters, he will have sections, just like little paragraphs or sentences from historical works in the world 
to help bring context in for why the culture is doing what it's doing or what happened historically in this world, just to give extra oh, like flavor and layers. Mr. Nor- like Dr. Uh, Str- Mr. Strange and it's Dr. Like, it's like the footnotes. Yeah. Yeah, yes, okay. but he just does it in between chapters. Yeah. So that's probably what kind of inspired me to think of it this way, of telling the main story and then taking a break and telling a little context, and then going back to the main story, and then telling context. Yeah. But I also think it's a way of saving all of the work that you've already done so far, because you have both old princess and new princess at the same time. Yeah. I'm really torn, because I like that, and I can see how that theme is already kind of in this this poem as it stands. But I also like the other themes that are in this poem. The idea of... I know I'm still going to do go through this bad shit because the bad shit is worth mm-hmm. the good shit at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, then the idea of the princesses telling their real story or like a, a problem within the narrative that, that a princess is, is talking about. Mm-hmm. When I was looking over this in preparation for uh, this podcast, I really liked the idea of these I mean the the poem is called What the Tales Forgot to Mention Um, so I really liked the idea of three different regretful princesses I mean right now uh, section one and section two are sort of the same poem they are they They just cut off at a different point in time you even have the same like seven men who are her brothers that yeah it's like in there I decided that all of the fairy tale princesses were one, so they I'd just throw in whatever I needed. Yeah. <laughs> but really, like it's the same story. It's the same person telling the same story, but at different points of in time. Section one is before she's fallen asleep, and section two is after she's fallen asleep. And then you suddenly randomly have Cinderella. So I had already kind of started doing some edits to make section one you know, make it distinctly you know sleeping beauty snow white and cinderella to make sleeping beauty cowardly make snow white too trusting and then i liked what i had done with cinderella's already <laughs> <laughs> so the, yeah this is hard there's a lot of different ways to take it i, I had a, i had a question so you're in in the first bit what does it mean when you say waiting is a refined torture, squeezing hope into bitter yellow pills you swallow more and more of them to soften the ticking of that pink biological clock? Okay, the yellow pills are a Rolling Stones reference. I think it's the Rolling Stones that sing a song about uh, Mother's Little Helper. Mm-hmm. So I I think quite famously one of the early, um, like, any anxieties or any depressants that were very heavily prescribed to women in like the 50s and 60s were yelled these little yellow pills and they were called like a mother's little helper yeah okay that, that's what i thought you were doing i just needed to make sure because there was a little bit of um it, it felt disjointed to me yeah it is a little yeah. something about the language is yeah. i don't like the word torture yeah i might not even like the word well, i don't know like a refined torture I think that idea is great if she is kind of aware that she is still asleep. You know, like, is she still dreaming and it's been a hundred years? Then that, I felt like that was going somewhere. That's part of the problem. The the beginning of it makes you think she's still asleep, but by the end of it, it's more just 
her deciding I'd rather be asleep. Uh, what is that song? So wake me up when it's all over. Yeah. When I'm wiser and I'm older. Yeah, that one. It, it's the same kind of idea. I think that was the original vision of like, instead of being tricked into touching yeah. the spindle, what if she's consciously like, well, I haven't met anybody I like yet, and this seems like a guaranteed way for a true love to find me without me having to do any work or feel any emotional journey yeah. <laughs> beyond what has already happened to me. I can just go to sleep and wake up and it's done. <laughs> you know, achievement unlocked. So, I, yeah, I like that. I really like that idea. It's just kind of, you just have to change that very first line when you've been sleeping for 100 years because it does make it seem like she's already asleep or already been asleep. Yeah, so yeah. I, the edit I had made is just literally putting that for this first section is written in couplets. Yeah. So I, I have a, a note to just put dreams grow more fragile by the hour when you've been sleeping for 100 years at the end. I think... There might have also been some idea of the person telling the same story at three different points in time. So, like, yeah. you know, before she does the spindle, right after she does the spindle, you know, sometime after the fallout is over from the spindle. I think I had some idea of, like, okay, actually the guy who was supposed to be true love, like, that that was a bust. He was a terrible person. Yeah. But then a little later, looking at the story at yet again a different point in time, she's met someone great. So I wonder, you know, she's contemplating the spindle. She's contemplating falling asleep rather than lose her chance at love for yeah. right now. So I'm wondering if, if what, you know, what you suggested, moving that to the end of the section, but changing it so that it doesn't say dreams grow more fragile by the hour when you've been sleeping for 100 years, and change it so that she's asking a question kind of mulling on it, saying... I wonder if dreams will grow more fragile do by the hour. I wonder, do dreams grow more, or yeah, or do dreams grow more fragile by the hour when I've been sleeping for a hundred years? I've, like, she, personally, her. Oh, then it would need to be will. Will dreams grow more fragile by the hour when I've been sleeping for a hundred years? I think you could still use the you. Do dreams. Yeah, but why? Because she's talking about herself. Why would she use this you? Well, that's a turn of phrase that people use. Uh, I, I can't think of the grammar term, but like, what does one do in that situation? You know, that it's the same kind of... You could. What do you yeah. do? One, you might also say, <laughs> what would you do in that situation? What do you do in that situation? So it's the same yeah. grammatical I, setup. Yeah. So I guess what I have an issue with is... So you use that several times. When you've been sleeping, your doom looms closer. The men downstairs love you, can give you so much hope. You can't help wanting. Worth cutting your hair for. And then you say, besides, I never liked the glass slip Yeah, pad. I'd need to keep the, yeah. what is that, second person that... I mean, that's that's an easy fix, but you never liked that glass slipper Yeah, I, I know. What I'm trying to figure out is, is it more effective for it to be an I instead of a you in all of those instances? Does it feel more immediate? Does it feel more personal if she is talking about herself? I think... At the time, 
I thought she was more of a pants if you use the you. Like, it's uh-huh. easier for the reader to actually be asking themselves this question. Because at the time, writing this, I think I sort of was. Like, yeah. I, it was a sort of daydream of, like, what if I could just go to sleep? Yeah. You know? And in thinking that, you you would use you <laughs> instead of I. Um, or at least I do. Maybe that says some something really important about my psyche. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. And, and and I can see you're wanting to speak generally and, that, that may and have honestly, it applied to the reader, no matter who the reader is. Yeah. And Maybe that's also... So I'm thinking, or I've said that a, a source of a lot of the problems in this are, are that I was rewriting this and rewriting this. And in some ways, it almost feels like I pushed it together... Because I couldn't decide between the two and I was thinking, well, I need to just completely rewrite one of them, but I'm going to leave this here so I can keep playing around with which construction I like better. Because honestly, section one is all constructed in second person and then section two is basically telling the same story, but it's all first person. Some of these can just be taken out and I think it's actually more efficient. So... Instead of you swallow more and more of them, just swallow more and more of them to soften the ticking of that pink biological clock. Um, the apples ripen, the roses bloom, and doom looms closer and closer. Do, do you need the you? Is it extra words that aren't mm-hmm. really necessary to get the ideas across? Some of them can't be taken out, like the yeah. seven men downstairs love you. But brothers can only give you so much. But brothers can only give so much. Um, as I'm looking for it now, I didn't get this the first time, but you, there are a lot of use in this. And I think many yeah. of them could be removed so that you don't have so much repetition and it's a little tighter. I really liked your idea of almost this hybrid poem, um, short story, like interwoven with the actual fairy tale princesses telling their true bleak story. Yeah. Um, but I now that I have gone through... <laughs> The mental journey of remembering the original intent for this rewrite of the poem. I'm also really intrigued by that idea. This may be another Earth My Home situation where I end up (laughs) writing three different pieces and then what will we do (laughs) on open mic night? I think... Because I'm also really intrigued by the original idea. If the original idea is I'm in a rough spot and I wish I could just wake up, what would it be like to just wake up and the daydream of, oh, what if I do this, though, yeah. and it's not it's not good. I think that and, is a really good idea. And then, and then telling the story from a third place of, like, either I didn't do it or I stupidly did it, but now I'm in this place yeah. where things are actually better. You know? Maybe. To me, the most intriguing part is it's that first section two. no no is the is the first section that you were just that you were just describing and i do think that's a separate idea than my idea i liked the original idea that you had which was somebody thinking about pricking their finger because it had to be better than this i think that is a poem i think that there is a story there that you could tell get rid of the rest of the fluff that is in here pull out that one idea and have a nice compact poem in there that is really getting into that idea Mm -hmm. but the rest of this and the the other ideas that we've talked about i feel like are a completely separate work and that completely separate work i think you could do really well interspersing 
new princess with old princess, whether or not you want to do it poem or short story or a mix and mash of both, um, you know, like really play with genre and form, you could totally do that. I think both of those are really good options. Now, which one do you want to do on open mic night? I don't know. The third idea is the original intent of this rewrite, which is, you know, to have movement, to tell the same life story from three different points within it. You know, one, everything is terrible, but I might do this thing and change my fate. Two, I have changed my fate and it is even worse. Three, I worked through all that stuff and now I am actually in a good fate. Mm. <laughs> that was the original intent and I still kind of like that story. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and who knows what will actually happen during the rewrite, but you have a lot of good ideas for it and I, a, a lot of really good directions. So when you get to open mic night, who knows, maybe you'll have three different works. I think I have an idea. That, this reminded me of an idea that I had in college that I never wrote uh, for a children's book, and now I'm thinking about writing that too. So <laughs> you know what? I might just have an open mic night about one of your pieces because why not? <laughs> This is our podcast. We'll write it down. We make it up yeah. as we go. So. I think the point is just to... Inspire. Yeah, just to get inspired and get yeah. get writing. You gotta get writing. If you haven't gotten writing, <laughs> now's the time. <laughs> if you have a piece that was inspired by one of the pieces on our show, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, we'd love to feature it in on. We'd love to feature it on our open mic night. Just record yourself uh, reading it. Doing a dramatic reading and dramatic. email it to diamondroughpod at gmail.com. Yeah, that would be great. If you feel like, oh, I could have rewritten that better doing it this way, do it. Yeah, Send if it to you've us. thought of something we haven't, we want to know. Yeah, that'd be great. So, yeah. all right, I would love to keep talking, but my glass is empty and my brain is full. Thank you for sharing your rough draft today, and I look forward to hearing it again on Open Mic Night or hearing it again four times on Open Mic Night, <laughs> including one of myself. Dear listener, if you have any edits, thoughts, or suggestions on this rough draft, you can find us on Instagram as Diamonds in the Rough Draft or by email at diamondroughdraftpod at gmail.com. If you or someone in your life is interested in having a draft on this podcast or joining as a guest, please reach out. If you happen to be Neil Gaiman or Gail Carragher, please reach out quickly. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Diamonds in the Rough Draft. This is Emily Anderson. And this is Eric Anderson. Have a great time and don't edit under the influence. All works read on the Diamonds in the Rough Draft podcast are original works and are not to be reproduced or distributed in any form without the express written permission of the author. All works of fiction on this podcast are products of the author's imaginations, and any resemblance to actual events, places, or persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental.